All right, if you have your notes from what we've been working on now for a little while, which is the subject of law and gospel, I know we've been, we have Jude to still work on. This really connects with Romans 10, so I don't feel bad about that. Uh, we will get back to, to Jude, but right now, if you've, been, if you've been paying attention, you know, we started a discussion on the proper distinction between law and gospel, and we're looking at 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel, and we have covered at least in some detail... Obviously, what we're just trying to do right now is list the 25 theses. That's what we're trying to do. We've made it to number 10, which was the one that seemed to lead to lots of confusion, it felt, here. Um, we, uh, I think we did a pretty good job trying to rewrite number 10. Um, and then we, we kind of covered 11 and 12, but we'll back up to number 11. And we'll see by the end of today, by the end of... By the time we get to this afternoon, we will have made it close to number 25. I'm trying my best not to teach each one, but if, when you're dealing with a subject like law and gospel, and almost everyone here admitted they don't have a lot of knowledge with it, I would point out to everyone, chapter 19 and chapter 20 of our confession um, of the church has uh, two chapters on the uh, proper distinction of law and gospel. So it's been there. We just haven't done a lot of discussing about it, uh, but we will go back to the, the London Baptist Confession. Um, and the reason we will is because I'm going to demonstrate, I, I'm going to do a history lesson, lesson showing where it was in the Baptist Confessions and then all of a sudden it just disappeared. And then basically it's now gone through, in most churches and it's basically re, is retained within Lutheranism and within the evangelical Protestant Baptist world, it's disappeared and we have to ask ourselves, what theological, what theological development happened to cause the distinction of law and gospel to basically be obliterated? What happened? Um, I don't know if I have a proper answer going back to like 1873. I don't know exactly what happened. I can tell you what happened in, 1980, in the 1980s. I can tell you what happened there. Um, that makes perfect sense, but... Going back to that period of time, it will be interesting to figure out why. So we may have to do a little bit of historical study. But we can't do any of that till we get these 25 theses down. All right? Now we're listing them. I want to make it very clear. At some point, we are going to go back and work through each and every one. So if, if you're a little confused, just stay with me because we will come back to the one that confused you. Okay? Whichever one confused you, just write down which one confused you, and when we get to it, I will spend extra time on the one that confused you. Does that make sense? All right, good. I hope so. All right, are you ready? Pro now, just for review purposes, what's our definition of law? Basically, do this and live, or do this and be saved, all right? And then, what's gospel? Christ did this to save you. Christ did this so that you can live. Christ did this. So one is what you're supposed to do. The other one is what Christ has done for you on your behalf. Law and gospel. And what do we want to avoid happening? What's the whole purpose of this series? We want to make, what we want to avoid happening is the two doing what? Mixing to the expense of what? 
the gospel because what will never what never gets obliterated law basically never gets obliterated because that's our natural our natural inclination is to say what do this do this do this do this do this you must do this you must do this you must do this if you don't do this you're not saved if you don't do this you're not saved if you don't do this you're not saved it's just there's a natural law-based mentality inside of us, which is interesting, and we could argue why. Because even people who are not saved, isn't there a lot of someone should do this or they shouldn't do this? I can't believe they did that. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? And there's a lot of, why is it that there's just a natural bent towards a law-based way of thinking and all of humans? Because God's law is written Where? And our hearts were moral beings by nature. Atheists are moral beings, right? This is right. This is wrong. Can you believe they did this? Those people are hypocrites. God is, I mean, atheists will say God is evil. Well, to say God is evil is judging him based off what? Some system of morality, yes? All right, so we're all law-based. So for Christians, we have a tendency to take our natural law-based inclination and then do what? Mix it with the gospel, thinking we're maintaining the gospel, but in many cases we're actually doing what? Erasing it. Almost changing the gospel into something that is more law-based. Because it gives us some sense of comfort, right? Right? We get very, very, very nervous with the idea that someone can just believe and be saved. We're, no, 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 no. You can believe and be saved. But, 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 but. You better do this, 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 this. And we can understand not only is there a natural inclination to do that, we know scripture, there's a massive tension along these lines, is there not? Because some scripture seems to emphasize that we are saved by what? Grace and others seem to emphasize that we're saved by works. In fact, the Bible says we're going to be judged according to our works, which raises all kinds of questions, and we dealt with that way back in Romans chapter 2. All right, so this is a very, very important subject, okay? Very, very important subject. I, I, I've said, and I, and I really mean this, maybe the most important series I've ever done, and if it's the last series I ever do, then as long as I can get this out, then I think I, oh, hopefully I felt like I accomplished something because I think there's so much confusion on this. So much confusion. And it just, and what it tells me, and I feel bad about it, is just telling everyone, hey, read the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Obviously, I, I failed because I should have been teaching everyone chapter 19 and chapter 20 instead of just assuming that everyone would be reading chapter 19 and 20 of the London Baptist going, hey, I got questions about long gospel because clearly that didn't happen. So we're, now I'm going to try to rectify that and try to make sure we have some kind of a correct understanding of these two. All right. Does that make sense? And clearly, the book that we're utilizing, God's No and God's Yes, they really believe this distinction is important, right? They believe it's so important that you can't understand the entire Bible. In fact, the Bible remains a closed book unless you have a proper distinction between law and gospel. And the person who should be, in a sense, sitting at the head of the table above all teachers is the person who understands the proper distinction between law and gospel. So they clearly believe it's of the utmost importance. In fact... They borrow the idea that you're not rightly dividing the word of God until you can properly distinguish 
between law and gospel. Now, in some ways, let me just remind everyone, you may feel like, wait, this is complicated. This is seminary stuff. No, it's not. Go to a Lutheran church. Find the kids who go through confirmation. Guess what they have to be able to do in confirmation? Distinguish between law and gospel. So this is clearly not for the seminary uh, student. It's for the average person sitting in the pew. Now, the fact that we don't understand this We have to ask why. If we don't know about it, why? Again, it's in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, so everybody here should already know something about it. So it's there. It's been there. Now, later on, the confessions uh, within the Baptist world uh, got rid of it, but we definitely need to spend some time thinking about it. So are you ready? Here we go. Number 11. I'm not going to ask you about 1 through 10. All the messages are online. You can review them. Here we go. Number 11. We've already covered this one, so we we shouldn't spend too much time with it. The word of God is not rightly divided when there is a a disposition to offer the comfort of the gospel only to those who have been made contract by the law, not from fear of the wrath and punishment of God, but from love of God. Now, we spent some time talking about it. I'm not going to go back over it completely, but this one, we had a little, we had a few problems with this one, right? Let me, let me read that one again. The word of God is not rightly divided when there is a disposition to offer the comfort of the gospel only to those who have been made contract by the law, not from fear of the wrath and punishment of God, but from love of God. And we had some issues with this one, right? Because it seemed to say that the only, re- the only way, or as it could say, the only, re- the only people we can offer the comfort of the gospel to is the people who have been made contrite for the right reasons. And we had a, a kind of a, a little bit of a problem with that, but we will spend some time trying to unpack it later on. All right? Does everybody remember that? I think we kind of rewrote it, did we not? How did we rewrite it? Yeah, we, we kind of went with the word of God is not rightly divided when we limit who we can preach the gospel to. I'm not saying that's exactly what they're trying to say, but I want to at least clarify that to some level because I think it's impossible to go, wait, why are you contrite? Why are you broken? Oh, wait, it's not for the right reason. I'm sorry, you don't get the gospel, you get the law. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of that, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on that later. All right, number 12. The word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher represents contrition alongside of faith as a cause of the forgiveness of sin. Now, this one we need to spend a little time with. We, we spent some time on it Wednesday, right? Does everyone remember this one pretty good? What is this one saying? Let me read it again. The word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher represents contrition alongside of faith as the cause of the forgiveness of sin. What is this one saying? Someone can summarize it for us. Right, your forgiveness based on your contrition or the amount of contrition one demonstrates. 
Now, you see why this is a problem, right? How is this emerging or blending of long gospel? Right, law is the thing that breaks you. It's not the thing that saves you. Right? Gospel is the thing that saves you. Everybody understand that? This comes along and tries to mix the two by saying you have to have enough contrition in order to be saved. Does that make sense? Right? I'm going to say that everyone just said absolutely, it's perfect, I got it. Okay, I'm going to pretend that everyone understands, all right? Uh, the word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher represents contrition alongside faith as a cause of the forgiveness of sins. You got to be, and, and that, this can happen within Christianity if easily, is that you almost act like, well, I don't know if that person was broken enough over their sin. I don't know if they showed enough contrition. I don't think that they really are sorry. Now, this not only happens for salvation, this even happens within Christianity for Christians, Right? Someone does something wrong, like, I don't know if they were really sorry. I don't know if their repentance was genuine. I think the only reason they repented is because they got caught. Whoa, slow down. So the only reason David repented is because he got caught? I mean, who are you to say if a repentance is genuine or not genuine? How do you know how much contrition must be shown? A lot of times the amount of contrition shown is based off what? Sometimes the amount of contrition shown is based off what? It's not in your notes. Okay, maybe one's own guilt. Doesn't you think personality has a lot to do with this? Some people are emotional over anything, right? The weather changes, they're like, <laughs> right? Okay, they can go from happy, happy to sad, sad. Sometimes a, a, per, a person, some people don't show very much emotion, right? So that's, it's always, that's, I don't, that's very subjective and very dangerous, okay? All right, what number was that? That was 12. Now we're on what number? Oh boy, okay. Yes. Well, you can't be. Yeah, yeah, you can't be. Yeah, and so that's what they're saying. Do what? Well, you start judging action, you start judging emotion, you start judging all kinds of things to try to determine if the faith is genuine. So, and yeah, this happens all the time. All right, here we go. The next one may even be, we got some, we got some very confusing ones coming up. All right, here we go. All right, we're in number 13, right? The Word of God is not rightly divided when one makes an appeal to believe in a manner as if a person could make himself believe or at least help towards that end instead of preaching faith into a person's heart by laying the gospel promise before him. All right. Does this make sense to everyone? All right, let me read it again, all right? Stay, make sure everyone's with me. Some of these are long, so it's hard to just read them, okay? So I have to kind of break them down, all right? Everybody ready? Because I know you're trying to write them down as well, and I know you could have just printed a copy out for us, but that would, that would 
I don't like doing that because people then just kind of look at it and then it gets lost in your back seat. If you write it down, they have a tendency to stick with you. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? We already know what the first phrase is going to be, right? The word of God is not rightly divided. So you know how all of these are pretty much going to start every single time, all right? The word of God is not rightly divided when one makes an appeal to believe in a manner. The word of God is not rightly divided when one makes an appeal to believe in a manner as if a person could make himself believe Word of God is not rightly divided when one makes an appeal to believe in a manner as if one person could make himself believe or at least help towards that end. Does everyone understand that? Now, if you say this to Christians who go to other churches, they may greatly, greatly think you're insane, okay? But... It should make perfect sense to everyone in this church. Even if you don't know law and gospel, you should understand this one. All right, the word of God is not rightly divided. When one makes an appeal to to believe in a manner as if a person could make himself believe or at least help towards that end. Now, I'm not going to give the second part yet. Let's get the first part. Make sure everyone understands. What would that look like? And what does this have to do with law and gospel? What, what would this look like in practice? Okay, well, that's a good example. Altar call. When I, when I basically preach in a way that you can, you can just decide to believe, you can just make yourself believe, you, have, you can do something about it. Because this makes believing almost what? Well, remember, what is law? This almost makes believing you doing something, right? You do it. You, you contribute to it. Okay. Right, right. Well, you, so they use emotion sometimes to get this to happen, but it's preached in a way that you can do it. That you can do it. Listen to like 99% of sermons preached in Christianity. Well, we're, yeah, we're going to go to the second part in a minute. I just want to make sure we understand this part first. But does everybody understand that? That it's preached like you can believe. You can just decide. You can do it. You have the ability to do it. So then salvation is really you simply obeying the, the call to believe. Therefore, you're being actually saved by what? Law, not gospel. Does that make sense? That's why the second part, what do you think the second part says? Instead of preaching faith into a person's heart by laying the gospel promises before him. I don't preach as if you can believe. I simply preach what? 
to believe the gospel. I just lay the gospel before you. This is what Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ died upon a cross for your sins. Okay, I'll read the last part as it is written. Okay, here we go. Instead of preaching faith into a person's heart by laying the gospel promises before him. Has everybody got that? Now what would be a key scripture here? To at least go along with this idea. Come on, there's only one key scripture here. There's only one. Everyone should know this one. I mean, come on, it's like Christianity 101. Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody look at it. Everybody open their Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, there's much disagreement over this verse. There shouldn't be, but there is. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Everybody know where we're going here? For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is the debate here about this verse? Not of yourselves, it is a gift. What does that refer to? Right, right. Do what? What were you going to say? Well, the debate is not of yourselves is the gift of God. Is that referring to grace or is that referring to faith? Or is it referring to both? Some say it's just simply a grace. We're saved by grace. That's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is the gift of God, not faith. But if faith is a gift of God and not of ourselves, then guess what? You don't believe because you decided to believe or because you can believe. It means that God has to give someone. He's got to give them faith. And if he's got to give them faith, do you see where this leads to some major theological issues in the minds of some people? Because what should be the next and most obvious question you should ask? Why does he only give it to some people? Well, what's the answer? Election. Right, election. Because he chose those whom he would give faith to. People don't like that because people want to believe that what? Everyone can believe. Well, if everyone can, then I preach it as, Hey, Sarah, believe. Come on, believe. You can do it. Come on, do it. Well, the minute I started doing that, what did I just destroy? Sarah is saved by what? No, she would be saved by what she does. Does that make sense? Which then means she's not saved by the gospel. She's saved by the law. But if faith is a gift, 
then she's not saved by what? What she does, she's saved by what God did for her because God is the one who gave her the faith, which means she is saved by the gospel, not by the law. Does that make sense? I hope, I hope so. I hope so. That, that, that's, a, that's a very important doctrinal distinction right there. It seems like a simple verse, but it's massively disagreed upon. Right? Has everybody got that? All right. So the word of God is not rightly divided when one makes an appeal to believe in a manner as if a person could make himself believe or help towards that end instead of preaching faith into a person's heart by laying the gospel promises before him. All right? And any questions? Right. Are we sure we got this? All right. Sure we got this. Okay. I hope so. All right. What number was that? 13. All right. Uh, man, this could cause some problems here. Okay. Oh, boy. Some of these I want to skip because I just think, man, it's gonna, nobody's going to know what I'm talking about here. But okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust we could. This one, if you don't, now... Hang on, I gotta look really quick, because I almost, like on one hand, I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna think, man, everyone should know this one. Everyone should know this one. Um, hang on, where is it? I believe. Yeah. Okay, it's right there in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We've read it a hundred times, but I have a feeling when I read this, everybody's going to be like, what are you talking about? It's, it's literally on the chapter, the London Baptist Confession of, Faith, Confession of Faith, dealing with justification, which we have referred to countless times. All right, but I have a feeling when I read this, everybody's going to be like, what are you talking about? Okay, all right, here we go. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you're going to be like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, all right, here we go. Are we ready? All right. How does it start? There you go. You can already have that written down. The word of God is not rightly divided. You already know that's coming. You already got that. So when you have that written down, tell me, then I'll start. The word of God is not rightly divided. Everybody got that? Okay, good. All right. That saves you a little bit of time, right? Okay. When faith is required as a condition of justification and salvation. I know you're already going, wait, 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 what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? Just stay with me, all right? The word of God is not rightly divided when faith is required as a condition of justification and salvation. I know that immediately you want to start yelling and start just throwing things at me. Stay, just just wait. When faith is required as a condition of justification and salvation, comma, as if a person were righteous, In the sight of God and saved, comma, 
not only by faith, comma, but also on account of his faith, comma, for the sake of his faith, comma, and in view of his faith, period. Told you this one's going to be confusing. All right. Let's go through that again. Tell me what you need me to repeat. Here we go. The word of God is not rightly divided. Everybody got that, right? When faith, everybody got that? Is required. Everybody got that? As a condition. Everybody got that? Of justification and salvation. Everybody got that? You got the comma? All right. As if a person were righteous in the sight of God and saved, comma, not only by faith, comma, but also on account of his faith, comma, for the sake of his faith, comma, and in view of his faith. See, I even gave you the punctuation. Some of you got to be very happy because, you know, in reality, I don't believe that even exists and it's a figment of everyone's imagination. But that's a whole different story. All right, what are they trying to say? Okay, well, let... Oh, that's a good point. Okay. It's like faith itself, not what you're putting your faith in. It's almost making faith is the issue, not faith in Christ. Okay, good. That's a good way of putting it. Just, just so that you see this, you can look it up if you, if, you, if you don't have a copy in front of you. You can look up London Baptist Confession of Faith online and look, go to chapter 11 of Justification. London Baptist Confession of Faith, look at chapter 11, if you don't have one near you. I I believe the Westminster Confession in our hymn book is pretty similar, but just in case, if you don't have the London Baptist in front of you, I know we handed out lots of those a a long time ago, maybe have to get some more again, but, okay. Chapter 11 on justification, all right? I want you to read the chapter and tell me if you see a phrase that would be very similar to what we just read. See if you see something similar. I'm not, it's not going to be exact, but something similar. Everybody find it? I'll read it. Let's see if you, you can find the phrase. Everybody ready? Those God effectually calls, he also freely justifies. 
boom, we're good with that. He does this not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting them as righteous. Right? That's the difference between infusing and, uh, and imputation, right? The whole, like something I've been trying and trying for years to make sure everybody understands. And, and remember, why is that so important, the infusing versus imputing? If you're saved by an infused righteousness, what should I expect to immediately show up in your life? Righteousness. If you're saved by an imputed righteousness, what should I expect? Sinner. Okay, that, that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. If you're infused with the righteousness, if, if Sarah says, I believe in Christ, then what, I'm like, okay, Sarah, I need to see your righteousness because that means you were infused with it. If it's imputed, what should I expect to see? The same sinful Sarah. Right? Because now her, her salvation is not because she was infused with the righteousness, but an imputed righteousness. I don't know why that's controversial. I don't know why that's confusing. Put it this way. Anyone who finds it controversial should go to a Catholic church. Leave Protestantism. Go to a Catholic church. Stop with this fake Protestant stuff. Go be a Catholic. Go to Sacred Heart. Right? Go to our family uh, I think it's called our family, Holy Family, there on Buffalo Gap Road. I'll find you. I think it's St. Francis over on the north side. I'll find you at the Catholic Church in Abilene. They'll be more than happy to accept your belief in an infused righteousness. Okay, but let's continue. He does this for Christ's sake alone and not for anything produced in them or done by them. Did you see that one part? Not for anything... Produced in them. Everybody see that? Not for anything produced in them. What does that mean? Sarah's salvation is not based on what she does or what's light, what fruit is produced in her. It's based off the imputed righteousness. So how can I judge her salvation based off what's produced in her? Because does an imputed righteousness produce anything in Sarah? No. All right. This is not complicated. All right, here we go. He does not impute faith itself, that's interesting. He does not impute faith itself, the act of believing or any other gospel obedience to them as their righteousness. What does that mean? Sarah's faith is not her righteousness. Righteousness is not imputed to her like, faith is not imputed to her as like, hey, righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that is imputed to her. Does that make sense? Does, does, that, does everybody think they truly understand that? He does not impute faith, the act of believing, or any other gospel obedience to them as their righteousness. Instead, he imputes Christ's active obedience to the whole law and passive obedience in his death as their whole and only righteousness by faith. What is the only righteousness you have? Christ's active and passive obedience. Not your faith. Your faith isn't imputed to you as righteousness. It's not your faith. It is by faith that this righteousness is imputed to you. It's not faith in, in itself. Is that very similar to what we just read? Yeah, it's, it's saying the exact same thing. Both of them are saying the same thing. 
Does everybody understand? Are we sure we have understanding here? Okay. No, both are saying the same thing. Yeah, they're saying the exact same thing. Yeah. No, no, no. Which one? Which one? The London Baptist? Okay, the thesis? Okay. No, no, no. It's condemning that, that idea. It's condemning that. Okay, I'll read it. No, that's okay. Um, the word of God is not rightly divided when faith is required. See, it's not rightly divided when faith is required as a condition of justification and salvation. As if a person were righteous in the sight of God and saved, not only by faith, but on account of his faith, for the sake of his faith, and in view of his faith. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, they're, they're saying that the word of God is not rightly divided when we do those things, just like the uh, London Baptist Confession condemned. All right, does that make sense? I know that may sound a little, well, that would sound really foreign and odd to the ears of most Christians you know. They would be like, what in the world are you talking about? But I want to make sure you understand, that's not a Lutheran thing. It's a Baptist thing. Now, you know what's fascinating? The distinction between law and gospel shows up in the second London Baptist Confession. If you follow the history of Baptist Confessions, guess what happens after that almost? Disappears. Why? I don't know if we have a good answer, but it gets obliterated, right? That would bring us to what number? Number 15. We're doing good. We're doing good, aren't we? Okay, well, I thought so. This one is short. That's a good. Everybody should say amen. Okay, good. We need a short one mixed in here. Ready? The word of God is not rightly divided. Everybody ought to have that down. When the gospel is turned into a preaching of repentance. When the gospel is turned into a preaching of repentance. Now, I don't know if you've ever read MacArthur's book on the gospel according to Jesus, but wow, that's all it's about. You must repent. And what is that repentance defined as? Oh, come on. This is like, you know, basic, like this is like modern day church history, everyone. That's why I've asked everyone to read the MacArthur's book. And I, see, I, I still have it sitting right here. Right here. I think I have another copy. I've, I've had the copies in the church forever. Right. Do what? Oh, yeah, we've read it. Yeah, it messed us all up when we were young, okay? Probably should have never read the book, okay? Our, our whole Christian life would have been different if we'd have just avoided MacArthur, okay? All right? Does anybody understand? Okay, I'm, I'm getting, uh, I don't think I'm getting any definitive answers. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll just ignore MacArthur like it doesn't exist. What is this one? What does it mean to turn the gospel into the preaching of repentance? Okay, well, here's what happens. The gospel says what? Christ did this. Repentance is saying what? 
You have to do this. 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 Well, guess what? If you listen to MacArthur and many others, especially in the Lordship camp, what, do you, what has to go with the gospel? Repent, 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 repent. It's constantly connected to it. And they make repentance what? Remember, there's two ways of defining repentance that has divided Christianity throughout all of your Christian lives. It's been an issue throughout all of modern church history, clearly going even further back. Repentance is an actual turning away from sin. You turn away from it, you don't do it, you stop doing it, you turn from it. Or, no, that's connected with that one. That's connected with that one. Come on, the, the, the whole, like, this is like, we've talked about it so many times. Okay, there is a major d- d- debate throughout all, a good portion of church history and how do we define repentance? There's two ways of defining repentance. Everyone here seems to know the MacArthur way. Turn from sin, turn from sin, turn to God. Turn from sin, turn to God. Everyone here seems to be well-versed in the MacArthur way. Does, not, does anyone know there's not another way? Nobody. Nobody. Please. Anybody? I guess I'm getting a complete no. I think... We did an entire series on repentance. I could probably look it up. I think we did an entire series on this subject. Okay, I'll just have to tell everyone. All right, here we go. Repentance is a turning from sin, a change in your action, or repentance is simply a change of mind. Remember MacArthur's entire book, argues this whole point, like a good portion of the book. He argues that the change of mind definition of repentance is wrong, heretical. I think think what we're learning here is it's very important when a book reaches a level in church history that it's massively impactful that you read them so that you're aware of the issues of the time in which you're living, right? And that book is massively important in modern-day church history, right? So you got to, that's why I'm always saying read, read the fundamentals, because it has such a profound impact on the Christianity you live today, right? That's how come these books always sit right here, right? Because they, they define the issues. Does everybody see the difference between these two definitions? Right? Explain to me the difference in the two definitions, Okay, action. One requires action. You turn from that sin. You stop doing it. You now do the right thing. Change your mind simply means what? What does repentance look like when it just deals with a change of mind? What does a change of mind look like? Like how, define what that means. Well, okay, so you're not saved, right? And there's a, there's a sense that repentance is called for, right? 
Okay, I've, uh, I've had a big discussion with this on one of our YouTube listeners. A big discussion about this, all right? So let me try to explain. Repentance, because some people, when they, get, they start understanding the distinction between law and gospel, they want to obliterate even the idea of repentance because they're like, wait a minute, repentance is law, and I understand. But there, you have to understand the two definitions. A change of behavior where you have got to change my action, turn from sin, turn to God. Yeah, that is very law-based. But a change of mind, how would that work? Well, if I'm calling someone to believe, what do I have to change my mind about? Well, let's think about it, okay? My mind is changed about Christ, yes. That that he obviously is the son of God. His sacrifice on the cross, I now change my mind to believe that he died for my sins. I change my mind about the fact that I am a sinner, right? Right? Okay, I change my mind. You, you see where your mind is changed? Now, we don't believe that we do that on our own. We believe that what? Who has to grant us that? God has to change our mind. God has. It's not something I do. God grants repentance and God grants faith. Do what? Well, my mind would change to believe that what God calls sin is sin. And yeah, yeah, you would change your mind on that. But you see the difference between a change of action and a change of mind, right? Because this is how it works. If, if we, I, I bring the gospel to Sarah and say, okay, if I go with MacArthur's view, repent and believe, right? Then I know that how am I going to judge the validity of her belief? By the, the quote-unquote authenticity of one's repentance. And how do I know how authentic her repentance was? But if she stops doing this, stops doing this, and stops doing that. And what always leads to the question, what what question should this always bring up? How many things has to change? And they will always make a, a, like a get out of free jail card, which will be what? Well, I mean, you're not going to change everything at once. There should be significant change. Do what? All right, it won't be perfect. It may not be significant, but there'll be some. Well, then how, do I, how can I define how it is? And, and, get, and guess what that almost leads to? Your repentance leads to a change in what? Oh, come on, you know, we know where this is headed. External behavior. But internally. So, so wait a minute. Shouldn't my repentance impact me internally before it impacts me externally if it's true repentance? You would think, but guess what? I can't, as long as I can cover up the internal, then everyone thinks my repentance is genuine. The whole thing is just a mess. It just becomes subjective mess. So I want to make sure because when you stumble, as a preacher, when you stumble upon something that you realize that nobody in your church understands, that's a little, that's always disturbing. So I got to make sure we have this down. All right. We, I wanted to move on quickly, but th- this is one of those where it, the stop signs just came up, the red flashing lights, and we got to make sure we understand this, okay? <laughs> we, whew, that, sca- that scares me to death. Okay, so does everyone understand there are two views of repentance? Okay, I mean, I can go all, I can go all the way back to the, be- the beginning of this church when I gave everyone a copy of the book, uh, Repentance is More Than a Sinner's Prayer. And then I don't know how many times we've talked about MacArthur's book. I mean, a million times. Okay, um, and I'm, hey, I got to look because now I'm 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 greatly concerned here. I'm greatly concerned. I got to look here. 
I got to look. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I've done teaching on repentance. I mean, podcast is filled with it. So, yeah, okay, I want to make sure I, I lost my mind here, okay? Because I was like, whoo, okay, I know I've covered this. I've got uh, podcast episodes on controversy about repentance, answering an email about repentance. We talked about repentance a lot in my entire series on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says the proof of your repentance is your obedience to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, I did hours and hours on that. All right, so I just got to make sure everyone, we cannot move on until everyone in this church understands this. Okay, there are two views of repentance. All right, everybody ready? View number one says repentance is a change of action, a turning from sin and a turning to God. It's an actual turning, a change in action. The other view says repentance is simply a change of mind. Okay, and of course God brings the change of mind. Right? Regeneration, faith, all of that. We could talk about order salutis. We could talk about the order of salvation. But God would bring this about. Now, I'm assuming most of you believe repentance is a change of action. Okay, <laughs> you're repent. Now, and that's okay if you believe that. That's fine. I'm not here to argue right now. Right, and, and, and just so, I just want to make sure everyone knows that, like, I, I, I usually, if you follow my teaching, man, I start, like, building the, the plot, I start trying to lead everyone in a direction, usually a year before I get to where we're going. So you can go back and listen to the podcast, like, oh, something's happening here, he's, 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 he's laying the foundation, and then all of a sudden, when I step on the foundation, sometimes I'm like, everybody's like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's all right there. It's all on the internet. It's been there. Okay, I've been, I've been leading to this for a very, 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 very long time. Okay, so, let, so I want to make sure we understand this. So let's just do something really quick because I'm going to probably get now, I'm going to get new emails in regards to this and there's going to be, because you can't mention this controversy without controversy erupting. So let's just do this. Look up and um, grab the Blue Letter Bible app. Look up the word repent for the New Testament. See how many times the word repent is used. We could look up repentance, but repent. How many times is repent used? How many? 60. Okay, I hear cars outside. Oh, we're going to run out of time. Okay, all right. 60, that's a lot, right? First time it's used, and I think it's in Matthew. I think it's the first time it's used, Matthew 3, 3, 2. Okay, all right. Look at that. Look at that. I can remember numbers. Okay, all right. All right. Matthew chapter 3. Well, I, I think the only thing I remembered was the book. Okay, Matthew chapter 3. So let's start with that. Look up the, the Greek word for repent there, which we've done this before. And what is the Greek word? You can just play it if you want to hear how it's... Oh, you don't have the Blue Letter Bible app. What kind of sinner are you? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. The Blue Letter Bible app. That's what you must use. I'm joking. Okay. All right. Now, what, what's the definition for it? Metanaeo. Metanaeo. Okay. All right. That's fun to say. All right. Metanaeo. 
What is it? What is the look at Strong's definition? Metanaeo. Oh wait, what? To think differently. That's a change of mind. Now, this is what some will say. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of ah. ah. That's how I used to define it. Exactly. Because I tried to find a way to go with MacArthur, but stay true to the meaning of metanaeo. See what I was trying to do in the past? MacArthur's like, basically it's a change of action, but I'm like, well, wait a minute. The word means the change of mind, so how can I make this work? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Now, I would like to believe if I changed my mind, my actions would change, wouldn't you? But what's the problem with this? Are everyone paying attention? Metanaeo, a change of mind. Let's go with the way, because you've probably heard it defined that way. You know you have in this church a change of mind that leads to a change of action. What should you raise your hand and ask? A change of mind that leads to a change of action, but for that to truly work, that change of mind would have to lead to a change of what? The presence of the old Nature. Well, you would have to, right? Or infusion of righteousness or something. But the old nature stays. So what I'm trying to say, if I I can say repentance all day is a change of mind that leads to a change of action, but there's always going to be a problem if the old nature remains because the old nature isn't changed. Is the old nature changed by repentance? Answer? No! And if the old nature isn't changed, then guess what? Any change of action cannot be... There's always going to be a a problem in the change of action because what's going to always be present? The sinful nature. But metanaeo... Is there any other definition uh, for repent for metanaeo there in the apps you're using? We've got... It's a change of mind. That's simply what it is. But do we have anything else? Okay. Okay. But still, we're, we're still, the focus is on the change of mind, right? I mean, there's just no way to get around that. The focus is on the change of mind. All right? So, do, do you see how we obliterate gospel if we turn the preaching of the gospel into, uh, into nothing more than preaching repentance? It becomes a major problem when the repentance is said that it's a change of action. Because now the gospel becomes what you do. Now, almost everyone, even lordship, will say, well, we're not saying, this is what they always say, we're not saying you have to change everything before you believe, but you have to be willing to change everything if you believe, and if you believe, you will start changing things. But it becomes very subjective, yes? Yes, it becomes very subjective. Everyone should say it becomes very subjective. All right. Any questions? I'm just going to have to stop right here. Oh, oh, I thought we were going to get much further. I thought we were going to get much further. Any questions? All right.
I, I, I don't feel bad that we didn't move on, but we had to address this. That it's just sometimes when you stumble upon something like that, you're like, uh-oh, everything just went wrong. Everything went way wrong here. So here's what I would say. If you believe repentance is a change of action, that's all, okay, go ahead and believe that. Only I would offer you to challenge you is clearly metanaeo is a change of mind. That's what the, the Greek word references. Number two, if you believe met, that repentance is a change of action, right, when it comes to salvation, then you have to explain to me how that happens without a change of nature, because the old nature still remains. And if you believe the old nature is eradicated, well, then you ran yourself into basically now sinless perfection. Or you have to believe now that repentance comes along with an infused of righteousness. Does that make sense? And why would Paul say the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do? Well, Paul, didn't you repent? Now, I would hope, in theory, that when I change my mind on something, it should lead to at least what? Thinking differently about it, so hopefully I will struggle against it and try to move away from it. But if the old nature is still there, please remember that you can't just, it's just like, oh, if you change your mind, then all of a sudden your actions change. Well, that works if you're neutral, but if I'm not neutral and I have a depraved nature that remains in me, all of the changing of my mind about it is combating with a nature that says, you're thinking, who cares what you think? This is what you should do, which always leads to the never-ending battle of what? Being a Christian, where I think differently than my nature wants and acts. Does that not sound like your Christian life? Okay, well then, that's what we have to understand. Okay, all right, I'll stop. All right, well, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Forgive us for maybe misunderstanding repentance. Help us understand it better. And I hope that maybe if we don't gain anything from this study, we've gained some insight to maybe a better understanding of this very important concept. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...